0: You're listening to All Things Video, a podcast dedicated to uncovering the past and charting the future of the online video ecosystem. This episode is brought to you by TubeBuddy, the complete toolkit for YouTube channel management. This power-packed browser extension helps with everything from both metadata edits and trending keyword suggestions to thumbnail optimization, fan engagement tools, and so much more. Visit TubeBuddy.com to meet your new best friend on YouTube. You're listening to All Things Video. I'm your host, James Creech, and today's guest is Rourke Bose, Director of Content Management at Omnia Media. Rourke, welcome to the show. Thanks for
1: having me, James. Appreciate it.
0: Excited to have you here. Let's travel back in time a little bit. You got your start in digital by working at Zephyr back in 2012. How did you find your way to Zephyr?
1: It was an, it's an interesting thing because, uh, as you well know, even as recently as uh, I went to college, which I say recently, but it was almost 10 years ago. You couldn't really train for this kind of job. There wasn't enough out there. So everybody kind of came from different media backgrounds. So I had been interning and working at more traditional media companies, doing pitches for scripts and things like that. And the Zephyr thing was a blend of of those two worlds in a way, right? Because Zephyr does all this content protection for major movie studios, for big time publishers, labels, all that kind of stuff. So the position essentially called for someone that knew a lot about those things and specifically, was going to be able to help them with their launch into the professional sports uh, world, as far as that pertained to, to copyright and digital rights. So that's how I got brought in there, and I and I started there. Yeah, about four years ago, five years ago, maybe longer. I don't know. You lose track of time in the time <laughs> tunnel of digital media. But yeah, so I, I went in there. You know, I think when I was a boy, I dreamed of naming DVD chapters. That was my dream. I would I was fall asleep to road trip on the TV and be like, "Who got to name the chapter?" where, you know, EL finally steals a car or whatever it is. But that always fascinated me, which was kind of funny. Instead of bringing that back to Zephyr, I did a lot of uh, metadata identification, a lot of putting information into the containers that, that became assets and things like that. So I, I got to live that dream, if only in a very boring, efficient, though necessary way at the, at the dawn of the clash of media and new media.
0: So early on, nerding out about video metadata and content mm. ID all the fun things YouTube has to offer. Yes. yes. And then you made your way to full screen.
1: I did. Yeah. And my last project that I did at Zafra was really great. Actually, we had to watch, they were preparing to ingest every episode of Saturday Night Live into some, some international platform. This was shortly before I think they put all of it on Hulu. So my uh, coworker and I were tasked with, we had to watch every SNL skit ever. And we had to tag them with like every actor that appeared in it. And the names and titles and all that. So that was great. Uh, But then after doing that, I was kind of burned out on Metadata. So I moved over to Fullscreen. Fullscreen, the position was more uh, viral content identification and then the rights that pertain to that. I worked under uh, Ryan Bozak, who you had uh, here on the program not long ago. Highly recommend it. It's a good listen. I checked it out. And, uh, yeah, Ryan's great. So I went over there and he sort of took my knowledge from this basic, you know, sort of do what you're told, put this information where it goes. Uh, At Zephyr, but they weren't necessarily telling me the whole story. I wasn't involved in in sort of a strategic capacity, but then at full screen, I was able to do that. And working with Ryan and his team, I got deeper into the actual, the digital rights side of it, the monetization, and then working with YouTube and working with creators. So that really opened up a door to, you know,
0: understanding this world in a way that I certainly didn't before. And that was all pre-automedia acquisition, you know, b- before the sfod launch and all the things they're focused on today. So yes. what was full screen like back in those early days?
1: Yeah, I mean, I was, I was there when they announced internally that sfod was going to be a big part of the future. When they started talking about those plans and we had presentations on how that was going to look. So I was there at the, the infancy of those things. But yeah, it was different. Much like a lot of people all that time ago, three years ago. There was a lot of push toward getting content that was found off platform and then monetizing it on the YouTube platform. So, we had a team that was working to find viral clips or find uh, clips from Russia of everybody's dash cams of them hitting various animals or, or things that the dash cams pick up there, those kinds of things, and licensing them and
0: then monitoring them, almost a Jukin model. Uh, so that was a division that Fullscreen played around with for a while. And was that successful? I mean, what do you think about the content licensing, content acquisition business?
1: Sure. I mean, I think for its time, it was pretty successful. Uh, certainly among Viners, Fullscreen had the best representative of, the biggest representatives of people in the Vine community. King Patch, guys like that, who were you know growing, uh, growing across multiple platforms, even though they were really only focused on putting content out on one. So I think for that specific time period, it was pretty successful. I was involved in that until I left. I mean, until I left, it was going well. I know now since the guy who was running that division went to Jugen, which makes sense. I don't know that that's as big of part of Fullscreen's plan as it once was. Again, like you said, with them focusing on SBOT and and all the creators that they have in their network, I think that's something that they focused on less. But certainly at the time, it made a lot of sense. And I just noticed an overall trend, I think, across all these kinds of companies where there was this rush to, to get that content. Uh, like, we've got to get Viners, and we've got to get these guys on Instagram to make sure that we can monetize them on YouTube. And now, you know, of course, we see where Vine has gone. So I think that the answer is that nobody's really successful doing that specific business now. But at the time, it was an interesting
0: idea. So what do you think arrive. about that? If platforms like Vine have a shelf life, or you know, maybe people didn't forecast that Vine was eventually going to be shut off, does that mean that these are short-term arbitrage opportunities, and that folks like Collab and Awesomeness and Fullscreen who rush into Vine early were able to make a lot of money, and then, and then that ebbs and flows? Or do you think that they can parlay the talent they discover there into bigger media opportunities? So I think there's a couple different answers to that. I think
1: one is... You're never quite sure which platform is going to be the one that really takes off, right? I mean, who would have known at the time that they started you know, whether or not MySpace was going to be huge for as long as it was, or Facebook would be as big as, as long as it is. Vine certainly seemed like something that was going to be around for longer, and then it got you know, acquired and then phased out. So I think that you can't have long-term success with those things unless you're willing to take those short-term risks. And if in the short term you make some money, then that's great. Is that money, it, and in a lot of these cases, you'll find in both the YouTube community and the digital community outside YouTube, uh, the money just is there to be made, but it's not being made prior to, you know, clients either getting more educated or working with MCNs to better understand the space and, you know, better manage their, their content. So I think the second part of that then is, yeah, I mean, you look you look at Vine and you say, of course, now it's like, well, That was a business that uh, was short lived, but there has been some talent that's come out of it. Guys like, I mentioned King Bash
0: before, he was in a movie. I don't know the name of the movie, (laughs) but he was in a movie, I'm told. You may not be the target demographic for. I may not be the target
1: demographic, yeah. I don't know that I'm the. It's uh, for a guy who works in digital media. I don't know that I'm the target demographic of a lot of things.
0: Do you watch YouTube? Like, are you on YouTube all the time, checking the content?
1: Yeah, you know, uh, but the things that I watch it for, I
0: think, are hyper specific. I'm not necessarily somebody who,
1: uh, and I will occasionally find a talent or somebody. I'll start. I'll watch one episode of Billy on the Street, and then I'll watch ten segments. Right? That happens sometimes. But I don't have a lot of subscriptions. I certainly pay attention to our clients and other people in that space, uh, other big-time guys in the YouTube world I, I keep myself familiar with. But I think the last video that I looked for on YouTube was how to play Mega Man the board game. Because I was like, these instructions,
0: this is this is complicated. And it's been a long time. It makes there. you wonder why there are written instructions for board games anymore.
1: Yeah, you know I, I Seriously, after I did that, because my buddy and I, we spent about an hour. And we were not, I wouldn't say... Fully sober as we tried to read these instructions, and it's a fairly complicated board game. And then we watched the video, and it made so much sense. And it's for stuff like that. It's like, oh, dude, just throw a URL on the back of the box now. But yeah, it's so I don't know. Yeah, I don't know that I'm in the specific target demographic of a lot of the stuff we do. But it's hard to say. I'm often surprised at things that I enjoy, or you would think I'm more often, improve, you know, as someone who likes to play video games, you would think I would watch more of our gaming videos. But I kind of like still the discovery. I don't want to know how to do this or that in a game. I
0: find myself watching more of like Makeful. Like I watch like, ooh, I do want to know how to make a pecan brownie. So let's talk a little bit more about what you're doing now. So Mm -hmm. you transitioned from full screen, which sounds like was a great learning experience, over to Omnia Media, which at the time was very much up and coming. So tell us about that transition.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think to put some context for your frequent listeners about where I jumped on board, uh, in the episode where you had Rico Moore around, Rico talked about how he had talked with Moore and they talked for a while, and then they worked at a Starbucks, and then they got their first office. So I was the seventh employee, so I came along in that first office. Right about the time that the company was getting so big, well, so big, they were getting big enough that they realized they needed someone full-time to be hand- handling rights and to be handling just daily operations on YouTube. Uh, there were it was sort of a group effort at the time. Uh, so when I was brought aboard, uh, needless to say, there was there was work to be done. It was in many ways uh, sort of a trial by fire, which was great for me. I remember I got over there, was looking at the situation. You know, there were things to be handled, there was stuff to ingest, and all these programs I hadn't used yet. And, and I looked at it at first, and I was thinking like, oh man, this is a this is a, a task. But we we recovered, figured it out. I learned a lot from. That process working with various creators as Omnia started in music. So I worked with like Romanian pop labels to Spanish Christian music to underground hip hop to like Yclef, guys like that, all the guys like that. Literally everything couldn't be more different. It was an interesting time in a, in a transition and I was the seventh employee then.
0: Who hired you back then? Was it
1: Timur? Or was it Luke? It was Tamor, Luke, Rico. And uh, a guy named Tom, Tom Kozik, who was there for uh, a couple of years, he was the COO. He now uh, is the VP of Loyalty for Marriott, so he has pivoted to do something quite different. But uh, yeah, he was a great guy, so there was a good team back then, and that's who brought me on, and now the entire company has changed around me. We have a different executive team. Austin, who's our head of gaming, is the only other person who was there when I started, and he was working remote at the time. So it's funny, actually, if you Google Omnia Media, there's a picture. And the picture of what's supposed to be, like, the people in the company, I'm the only one who's left. And it was, like, my third day at the time. But the company has grown a lot in that time, legitimized itself on a global scale. We've shifted, obviously, from music is still very important to us. But I would say that we're known as a gaming network uh, first. And we also have a, a much bigger footprint in a lot of o, and o uh, in our Makeful vertical you know, DIY and beauty and, and all the things that go into there. Now that I am obviously the target demographic, but uh, yeah, so it's, it, it has been a fascinating time to watch an entire company change around me. In many ways, it's sort of the, uh, if you watch, of course, the, the 2002 remake of the time machine, you'll remember a scene where Guy Pierce is in his time machine and he's watching everything change around him. So it's a lot like that.
0: So what made you interested in moving from full screen, which at that time had been a very big and growing established media company yeah. to an upstart like Omnia?
1: I think it was the challenge of it. It was the challenge of getting more opportunity, the challenge of seeing what I could do thrown out there without, you know, someone like Ryan to help me, Right. That's, you know, that's a compliment. I mean that's a big compliment to him is he was a guy who you know, he's so good at what he does and he's great at managing all the assets they have. Uh, so I knew that that was a position that was never going to be available at a full screen. Uh, so the only way for me to move up and to make my way up in that particular, this line of work that we do was to find another company and grow with that company. And it was beneficial both for them and for me to get that experience and to grow with them, the peaks and valleys that come with a company that, that grows from that amount of people, from seven people to now, I think we're around 50. And of course, like I said, the roster has changed. It has been a unique experience and uh, something that, that I don't regret doing. It was, yeah, it was the challenge that drew me to do it and to do something new. And at the time, there were a lot of these companies that were popping up and many of them were short-lived. So I think maybe the hardest part about it was just deciding whether or not this is one that I thought was going to be
0: particularly short-lived. And it turns out it had great stank power, which is good. So you mentioned a lot of the challenges, both at a structural corporate level, but also maybe on a day-to-day perspective. What are some of the challenges you face today?
1: Sure. I mean, I think that they're still dealing with a lot of the myths about how digital rights is managed, both from the creator side, from an executive side from like a corporate when we report to, you know, the, the parent company, the old lovely parent company, by the way, up in Canada, then, you know, also with the community at large. So dealing with a lot of those things, like helping dispel the myth that no, YouTube is not out to get you. No, they don't have a secret team of people who are like tracking this individual word and trying to remove it, you know, helping people really understand, that, uh, you know, it's a flag-based system and that the things that might arise, YouTube's constantly changing their their community guidelines and their rules, usually for the better. I'm of the opinion that most of the changes that they make are great for the community. Most of the time, it's pushing the community towards being seen as a more legitimate platform for people that, for whatever reason, already don't see it that way. And, you know, making sure it's a safe community for everybody uh, in terms of their community guidelines. So that is something I have to deal with. You know, you have creators that may skate that line a little bit, a little bit too tight sometimes. might be putting it generously. That, I would say so. Sure. <laughs> uh, there's there's definitely things that uh, they more than challenge the establishment's new rules, and will test them. And YouTube's tolerance for such things goes down lower and lower and lower. So it's a balance of that political capital, so that YouTube knows that we are, and we are very serious about enforcing community guidelines and doing everything we need to do with our creators, while also not seeming like the principal that's yelling at the kids that are our network, not that they're all kids, but you know, to, to use that analogy, we don't want to just be shouting rules at them and not make them feel like we're on their side, because in many cases we do understand where they're coming from. So I think that balance is really important and then you know, the, the balance of maintaining that reputation between companies as well. So you know, you have your big guns, you know, you have your maker and full screen and, and all those guys and working with them in such a way so that they know, you know, that we are also on the level and we're trying to do the best that we can for our creators. And occasionally, because of the community nature of this platform, we're going to cross paths and sometimes we're going to have to handle things. So. A lot of negotiation and dealing with rights, frequently reminding people I'm not an attorney. Those sorts of things are all uh, really important. My brother, who is an attorney,
0: says it's important for me to let people know. I'm I'm sure he also likes to remind you that you're not an attorney.
1: (laughs) He does. does. (laughs) uh, It's the first thing. I see him for Thanksgiving, and I'm like, Happy Thanksgiving. He's like, you know you're not an attorney.
0: So you you touched on a lot of different things. I want to I want to kind of break a few of them down sure. piece by piece. The first uh, you touched on YouTube policy changes, yeah. and there were a number that impacted the space last year. How is that affecting your business?
1: Sure. So it doesn't affect us overall a whole lot. There are on an individual creator basis, there are some that it affected more than others. Certainly, um, the ad friendly policy is something that uh, was a long time coming. and makes a lot of sense. The way that it's phrased now, essentially, is it doesn't have to... So there was a time for a long time where everything was kind of ambiguous. And the way that YouTube worded things was fairly ambiguous. But I think in a way, it was necessary. It really did have to come down to, did the community see it as a violation? And then against those guidelines, how did YouTube's policy team see it? So I think the tweaking of that language and what they allow to be monetized and what they don't by changing it from simply inappropriate or spam to anything that could be encompassed under the umbrella of no longer ad friendly is helping YouTube towards that legitimacy goal. So it's helping towards that goal of, you know, we don't have guys whose channels are just ripping into other people. They don't, they don't want that kind of a thing. They don't want similarly channels where it's just someone exposing like, here's what the houses of the top 10 YouTubers you're familiar with look like. That kind of stuff, they've certainly cracked down on. And and certainly for creators who were reliant either on titles that were clickbait or were reliant on, we'll say, fairly sexually provocative thumbnails or whatever it may be, those kinds of things. Or again, the, the example of a guy whose channel is roasting, I'm told is the term from the kids. They're just roasting other YouTubers if they're not very careful in the way they go about that, uh, that's a very fine line between, you know, quote unquote, roasting somebody and attacking their character unnecessarily and without them being able to defend themselves. So because YouTube now can put things under the umbrella of whether or not they see it as advertiser friendly, that helps them in their quest to, you know, eliminate a lot of this material that they don't want out there while giving more opportunity and higher
0: monetization rate to the content they do want. Have you heard complaints from individual YouTubers or you respond to that on a daily basis as it relates to your role? I mean it is
1: YouTube, right? So there were plenty of complaints (laughs) and uh, typically I'm one of the, one of the guys uh, for our network to go to when there's a complaint and I understand that. Um, I help sort of bridge that gap of understanding between, you know, what YouTube wants and what's going on over there how our company policy plays into that and then speaking with the guys themselves, the, the creators. So yeah, there were complaints, but you know what, actually there were, uh, there were less than I anticipated for that, that particular issue. Uh, I would have suspected there were quite going to be quite a few more, but most of the creators, you know, to their credit saw that there was a change. They saw they had, you know, a video or two that suddenly wasn't monetizing anymore. And rather than, you know, just complain about it for days on end. They're like, all right, well, I'm going to pivot my strategy and this is how I'm going to do it. Which which is a huge benefit, I think, of, you know, the way that Omnia does, we structure our company in a way that's a little different than a lot of the MCNs. It's not just strictly channel aggregation, right? So we're, we're more about, you know, the quality of the channels and the creators and then keeping the overall creator number fairly low so that we can really have a personal touch and we can really... You know, and I mean, any given day, those guys can get a hold of us or get a hold of a member of our team or a partner manager, whoever can help their, them resolve their issue. Uh, so, because we're sort of small and mighty in that way, I think we have around a thousand creators right now, but well over two and a half billion monthly views. Because of that, we can be fairly intimate with our clients. And sometimes too much, like I get like, <laughs> Skype messages and texts on Christmas, which is great. But it's good. I, I, I like that model. I would, ra- I would much rather have that than have a thousand people whose names I don't know on top of you know another thousand people that I tear them out. I much prefer to have a smaller network of guys where I know who they are. I know what they do uh, when they come to me. I can help them personally and see it through.
0: I don't have to pass it along.
1: To various teams, or or put timelines on it, or whatever, just take care of
0: it. Yeah, makes sense. What were some of the other YouTube policies from last year that may have impacted your business?
1: Sure. So the elimination of sub networks was big. They got rid of sub networks, which caused a fair amount of anxiety and, and pushback in the M C N community. If
0: we can, it's 2017. Can I still call it the M C N community? You can. They prefer. I know that that's not the preferred. Now, what please. do you think? Let me ask you this. Mike. I don't want to go too far down on a non secular. What do you think of the MPN multi platform network label? I mean, I think that's going to be
1: outdated in three years too, right? They're going to come up with some other name. The multi platform. Uh, I think that probably covers more for the long term of what people are actually doing. Sure, but.
0: I think at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter what you call it, right? I mean, they're all new media companies. They're all digital first, you know, creator-focused networks still for the most part.
1: Yeah, I mean, they can, they can pivot strategically and change the name every few years if, if they so feel inclined. I think that MCN, MPN, whatever it is, it's, it's going to change because that's the nature of this, of this business, right? It's going to be, there's going to be different platforms people are on that we can't foresee right now.
0: I don't know what's going to be trending next in video, necessarily. What do you think is cool now? I mean, musically, is it live streaming um, platforms? What are you excited about? I'm, dude, I'm wearing
1: Tommy Bahama head to toe in the last three concerts I went to were Bruce Springsteen. I don't know if I'm the guy to ask like what's cool, but <laughs> as far as like what I see in the community... It's a Dockside collection. It's lovely. I'm going to try and get you a sponsorship. <laughs>
0: Thank you. Yeah. I like that you're plugging look,
1: them. Look into it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of a lot of 50-something uh, dads that are listening
0: to this program. Oh, certainly.
1: Somebody's got to reach those guys, mm-hmm. right? So I think that what's, what's trending, what's interesting, obviously Facebook is getting a lot of attention now, how they end up rolling out whatever their their mcn is structure mm-hmm. that they've been toying with for a while now. Whatever that
0: looks like when it gets rolled out to the masses, it's going to be fascinating. I'm surprised it's taken this long. I would have oh, expected the I mean. site-wide monetization to be enabled by the end of 2016. Oh, I would have too. Absolutely.
1: I mean, it it feels now it's one of those weird things that's it been talked about for so long. You just kind of look around at the, at the end of every quarter and you're like, we're not doing that yet.
0: It's not not a thing. And and people expect it to be more. Of course, especially it. given the freebooting issues on Facebook. Yes. Yes. A lot
1: of that. A lot of just... You know, ripping videos off or like putting a, a certain frame around it or, you know, memifying it or whatever it is people want to do. Um, and then now people also getting into the ahead of the game, getting into that licensing business there, too. So, yes, freebooting is a big issue on there. We do have, you know, access to the, their tool where we're able to monitor stuff that's up. So
0: but we, it's only for takedowns, and only for takedowns. Yeah, you can't do any monetization on Facebook. Exactly. So it's very
1: very limited, and then you have to be really careful with how you go about that. Like you don't want to upset your fans just because they really wanted to share like life hack how to make a you know a, a peanut butter sandwich or whatever it is. I mean, obviously that's one of those life hacks. So many life hacks. I know things. all about clickbait. Uh, so I think that's interesting. I think Instagram is, is definitely interesting. I saw that they're going to be rolling out some new forms of advertisement this year. I'm fascinated to see how that works in that community
0: and see how people respond to that. Pinterest and Amazon also getting into the video game.
1: Yeah. 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 Pinterest. Very interesting. Uh, Amazon. Uh, we've done a little work with them, some delivery there. Uh, they've got a, a pretty friendly user platform there. And I think something that there could be more, obviously those are sites that benefit from they've got a built in crowd and, and the nature of the content that they put up, if it's done correctly and, and strategically, I think that they're going
0: to, you know, I think especially with the, the Pinterest thing, I think it be huge. You have a pretty big women's lifestyle vertical at Omnia and you touched on some of the DIY content around the yes. makeful.
1: Bemakeful.com.
0: There we go. Oh, and O brand. So it seems like a natural avenue to, to leverage Amazon and uh, Pinterest for those kind of types of creators.
1: Yeah, I think so. And that's, Obviously, you know, just knowing what I know, you know, I'm married, so I was involved with. I was on the front lines as my wife planned our wedding, and I know how critical Pinterest is. I know it's a, it's a key asset for for people to have, and I even have occasionally used it to find a recipe or to you know figure out how to put my comic books in a cool uh, setup. You know, whatever it may be. How do I backlight a Megazord? I don't know. Let's find out. Uh, so yeah I think that that is a, it's, it's a really a great platform for video if it's integrated in the right way if it's not obstructive if it's not taking people out of the experience
0: and it's just enhancing that experience I think that that you know could really take Pinterest to to, to another level what do you think about the e-commerce and affiliate marketing opportunities and even the shoppable video overlay potential to those platforms
1: you know I don't know at this point it's it's very interesting to look at it and speculate on how people might go about you know the right way of utilizing those kinds of opportunities. I think that video overlay it's going to come down to the way people want to make their money and the way that people are consuming it. There's this balance, I think, with anytime you're rolling out new features and anytime you're expanding a product that people love and people are passionate about and they're used to how it works. Anytime you change that, especially when they when they sense that monetization is part of the incentive for doing so, you have to be really careful because I think we've all seen the reactions to anything where, you know, when people, so when YouTube was like, you can do it at free if you pay. And people were like, but I was raised on free YouTube. Things like that, you know, it's always, I'm going to be interested mostly to see how the community reacts to those changes. I got an interesting question when I was, I was speaking at the RAPA conference in Korea three weeks ago, four weeks ago, something like that. So I was over there. It was very interesting. It was about half industry professionals, mostly from Asia, a couple from Europe, and then half students. And the biggest university in Korea put this on mostly so that their students could be exposed to this as an industry and to know this is also for us to mingle um, professionals amongst each other. But Mostly it was for all these students so that they had the opportunity to hear from people in this business and to learn about it and to consider it as a viable career path because it's a thing that exists now and probably isn't going away for a long, long time. So one of the students asked, why does there always have to be advertisements and why do they have to do brand deals? And basically he was like, why can't they just be pure artists? And I was like, well, anytime something gets big enough where people are going to be making their it's their livelihood, that's their career, whether it be the creator, people working with the creator, all those things that come with that. We would all love it if all of our favorite YouTubers were just street poets that like didn't have to eat or pay bills. That would be great. But they have to make money. And the people working with them to help them make better content, they have to make money. And that's the only way to come to a compromise is to find you know, various ways on whatever platform you're on to, to make those advertisements organic and as uh, unintrusive as possible.
0: Unless it's sponsorship driven or some other business model. But yes, you're right. I mean, YouTube and all these other platforms, for the most part, have been, have grown up and been driven by brand dollars, whether that's directly through brand sponsorship opportunities or through the ad-supported model. Yeah, exactly.
1: So, yeah, I'm always, I'm always, I have my own. Uh, guesses how things will go and how communities will react. Let's hear about them. Well, one, I think that I think the first stage is always a strong reaction, no matter what it is. It could be a very small change and people might overreact. It could be, you know, something that just generally obstructs the way that they're used to navigating a platform. And, and people are, you know, in many ways, uh, creatures of habit. I mean, you look at, look at, talk to anybody that the day after a new iOS drops, and just listen to the people like I can't open my phone; it's awful. And just it, people flip out about it. And then, as I alluded to earlier, when people suspect that greed is involved, by greed I mean people being able to make a living. When they suspect that's part of the equation, you watch how people respond, and it's and it's tough. But creators will find a way. So, a great example: somebody who I've always, who's in our network, and who I've always felt. Was a really good example to the community on the way to go about things. We have H3H3 in our network. And Ethan, you know, whether it's rights disputes, whether it's been his own studio or his dealings with people publicly or whatever it is, he's always found the sort of the right way to handle it and the right way to make sure that he's still authentic to the community. You know, he's open, it seems like, about the way that he goes about his business and, and obviously, you know, has to make a living doing it. But then he also does a lot of things like he works with, you know, a group to just pool money for people who might be bossed around by bigger rights owners. And he collected all this money and it's for YouTubers who have fair use disputes, where they have legitimate fair use disputes, but they don't have the means to fight somebody who comes after them like a major studio if they disagree. Things like that I think are really important. Uh, That's sort of off topic from Pinterest and
0: and (laughs) advertising on Pinterest, but that's still very me. interesting. Yeah, That's where, where it took me. There we go. So do you have any channels of your own?
1: Not really. I have a couple videos that I've posted, like test videos. I think the only two that I have out there right now are... I did an edit of some gameplay from Arkham Knight, where I replaced Kevin Conroy's voice with Adam West, and then I added like the pow, bam, and like the old-school sound effects. Uh, so I have that video out there. And how's that performing? It's... I... Three four thousand views. Wow! Yeah, serious. So that's out there, and a lot of angry. Like it's clearly not a leak of the actual game, but in the title, uh, as per per YouTube uh, unwritten rules, I was like nineteen sixty six bat mode leaked, and so many people are like, "This is not real. Why would you put that? You're terrible." And I was just like, "Oh, I thought like it was obvious that I edited it poorly." So I have that video. I have another one where it's Scrooge McDuck yelling at somebody and I replaced his voice with Donald Trump, Uh, just like an actual Donald Trump uh, talk. Those are the two. I'm hoping that video gets a lot more hits this week. That could be the, the, the week for Scrooge McDuck Trump. So I've got those two videos out there. But no, I don't have to. My wife has created a channel that she's under the impression that I can cater to stardom. We have a cat who's like absurdly nice. He's like a broken cat. He's constantly purring. And depending on, like, stuff you put on him or you move him or whatever, you kill Purr more. I'm talking about him like a toy. He's a living What reader. is the cat's name? Uh, Tucker. So she wants me to start this channel called Tucker Purrs, where she bought a thing, a decibel reader, and we just put stuff next to him, and we see what makes him Purr the loudest. Sort of like the, the, will, will, it crush, yeah, the will it Crush guy, Will it Blend, that, all that kind of stuff. But it's with a cat and how loud he purrs.
0: Do you have a thesis about what will drive the, the most enthusiasm?
1: Look, Tucker is a mystic creature. It's really difficult to say how, how a, a 15-year-old wonder cat will respond. He tends to like things that are, that are warm or, or look like a variation of
0: catnip. Those seem to be things that he's into. Those are my theories to start. Earlier on, you also alluded to the fact that things changed within the business now that you have reporting responsibilities to a very lovely Canadian parent company.
1: Beautiful Toronto, Canada. Well, that's right. Blue
0: have Ant. you spent any time with
1: Blue Ant up in Toronto? I have. Very I nice. Have. Lovely office, lovely people. Good, so, good on you, Blue Ant. <laughs> uh, no, it's uh, it's very nice up there. And I grew up very close to uh, that part of Canada. I sort of understand the people up there. You know, it's like sort of going back home. when
0: You I go like back. hockey, they like hockey.
1: Well, they like the
0: maple leaves. I wouldn't call that hockey. This is true. So. Oh wow, shots fired. <laughs> Even though they're actually pretty good, this they're day. pretty good. Pretty great, great year for a lot of Toronto sports teams. Blue I know, Jays, I know. Raptors, back in back in the mix, man. Well, you know, and the, the,
1: the fun, I have a year to look down on teams, and the Blue Jackets are on top for a, for a brief fleeting moment. But yeah, they're they're lovely. And uh, how has it changed? Well, they're really great about letting our company, you know, continue to run itself in in, in the way that made us successful. So. You know, they seem to be of the mind that they want to help us grow and they want to help us achieve our goals, rather than setting those goals necessarily for us. You know, they acquired us for a reason; they liked what we were doing. So they they've been very supportive and and they're really great. They come down, they visit, they send a couple of people to the office once every month or two. And I've been up, I think, twice. Not for a while now, but been up twice. And uh, yeah, they're great. So it's a it's it's a pretty big traditional media company out there that wanted to be less traditional and now you know we're helping them achieve that and they're helping us uh to achieve some of our bigger goals with uh you know our OOs and, and those kinds of things what does the future hold for omni media uh good things good things continued growth i think you'll hear uh, I, I think when you hear the, the kinds of things that we're planning on doing in the future you would hear from a lot of different people that are in this space uh, would say that we're going to focus more on O&O properties we're going to focus on expanding the the platforms explained uh, that, that we are capable of helping our clients on and monetizing on helping expand their reach you know working with various companies to improve our own operations paladin's a good example you know those sorts of things just being smarter about the way that we run our business creating more content working with our clients to, help them create more premium content and expanding, you know, to, to being truly an MPN. So those sorts there's of, there's that us, word again, there's that word it's 2017. It's everywhere right now. You can't fight it. Yeah. I think that our plan to grow is, is quite similar to a lot of the other MCNs that, that have managed to stick around and continue to be viable. You know, there, we may have tweaks here and there less focused on Aspod than, than some. More focused on uh, an O brand that is maybe not as YouTube centric as, as our other creators or our other O&Os. But yeah, I mean what the future holds is is you know things look good and the, the company has continued to grow and survive. Uh, it didn't disappear a couple months after I, I took the leap, which was uh, of course a concern. And uh, it's it's continued to do well and, and I have a lot of faith in the people that we have in the organization. So I think I feel like I'm, I'm talking like a, like a draft pick. Like I like, love the organization. Dean Spanos, a great owner. Uh, no, but really, it's, it's, it's been a good experience, and everybody there is on the same page and, and motivated to keep the company growing, and, and I think good things will continue to come from that.
0: Let's switch gears a little bit and tackle some rapid-fire questions. What do you think of as short-term fads in the digital video space? Mm-hmm.
1: I think that there are certain things that always come up that maybe come up in cycles, but are, are fairly temporary. I don't know that listicles are going to be a forever way that we like to digest our content. I uh, I think there's a lot of specific kinds of clickbait right now. And then, of course, you know with us working in the gaming world, there's a lot of different games and, and content that comes from those kinds of things. And very rarely are there games like a Grand Theft Auto 5 that like, over the course of five or six years, people are, are pumping out content and have channels dedicated to it. Uh, so, as the, the new games come out, as the new consoles come out, as that business evolves, obviously the gaming community will evolve along with it. So, I think right now, it's hard to say. I think like there's some very clickbaity kind of things going on that are based on like only 1% of people will catch this. And I think that those are kind of a specific metadata strategy to this particular span. I don't think that that's. I think that there's always something, there's always
0: some gimmick to get people to click, but I don't know how long that's going to be the thing. What's coming next? If you had to make three predictions about Mm -hmm. the online video space, what do you see? YouTube isn't
1: going away. Every year, I always hear people that are, there's this mantra, and it's seem counterintuitive to things I've said before, but there's always this mantra of like, YouTube's going away, man. You can't just have your company on YouTube because it's going to crash and burn. Well, it hasn't gone away. I don't think it's going to go away. It's a pretty big deal, my last bold prediction is that despite the fear that you may sense out in the world, I think that YouTube is going to be a significant player for these kinds of companies and for creators for a long time coming. I think Instagram is going to grow. I think its integration with Facebook and the addition of video and all of the changes that have come there, I think that, that I don't see that growth slowing down. I think that's going to continue to grow. Eventually, I might get on it. And it's going to be uh, it's going to be a, a bigger platform for people to focus on, maybe even more so in the video space than, than Facebook. Third, let's see. I think I guess third will be more a query than a prediction. I'm interested to see in the next year or two, we're going to be seeing some changes And like. I'll focus on gaming here to stick true to to what Omnia uh, is focused on. I think we're going to see some changes in the way that there are blanket policies put out by companies. Right now you've got almost every company allows you to monetize your gameplay and to do certain things without crossing crossing the line, except for Nintendo who has very specific rules. Uh, and I think we're gonna see more clarity. That we're gonna see some more policies both on the, the YouTube and the platform in. Uh, maybe it will arise if Twitch diving into into video on demand, which it which is coming. So I think we're going to see some evolution and some traction in terms of how those things are handled in the gaming community and where those lines are actually drawn, as opposed to creators now just having to be like, it's probably okay, a lot of people are doing it, or I saw on their website, they said, this part is okay. And we're already starting to see that change happen. There's management companies now for gamers. You can get an agent. There's all kinds of crazy uh, evolution that's happening and rapid growth in that community. And I think we're going to start to see some more specific rights and community guidelines put out there for that community so that it continue to grow without there being that much
0: ambiguity. What do you think of the Nintendo creator program? Mm-hmm. Has that been a successful effort? Do you think it will be followed by other brands or maybe other gaming-specific companies? I don't think it will.
1: I think it's... For the gaming community, it's pretty prohibitive. I think that we'd see a lot more Nintendo content out there because they have a really passionate fan base. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt about that. But you don't see Mario walkthroughs. You don't see you know Splatoon gameplay or whatever because of the restrictions of, of Nintendo's program. So I don't think it will move on to more companies.
0: And I think maybe eventually Nintendo will rethink it. So do you think that's actually hurt Nintendo more than it's potentially helped them? I think so. Uh, I think it would help them, especially
1: if they lifted the ban a little bit you know they're releasing a whole new system so when the switch comes out i think it would behoove them to allow the community to get that out there that's the best advertising i think that there is now for that kind of content is let people see you know gamers playing the game let them see how it looks let them enjoy it let them you know if they make a fraction of what you'll make on the game by by playing it so be it i think that it's just very restrictive now and I think
0: it's not to their benefit. If you were starting a business in the online video space today, what would you do?
1: You know what the world is missing is those those hockey blooper tapes from the nineties. I'd bring those back in some capacity. Everybody just wants to see the fights. Just want to, just hockey fights and bloopers. It's a it's a dual purchase. You know, you buy one VHS. You're gonna get we're gonna go ahead and send you both VHS. And that's just the the gift of my business that I'd be giving to people. <laughs> Only VHS, though. Only Going back VHS. to analog. The, the business the business would be that people could go online and they cut together their own clip
0: collection, and then we make that VHS for you, and we <laughs> and, and ship it to you once a month. So it's like a subscription service. So you do like you can pick your
1: favorite team, and it'll be your favorite hits of the month or whatever it is. We'll throw some '90s style graphics. Some. You know, some zany zigzags and some burst type graphics. Uh, some
0: chumbawamba soundtracks.
1: Exactly. Some pink neon. Whatever you know, whatever gets you going. And we'll just deliver that VHS right to your door. I mean, vinyl has made a comeback.
0: So it has. Who's to say Beta tapes and VHS aren't next? Who's to say Laserdisc? <laughs> and where, where can people find out more about you and more about Omnia Media?
1: I don't know how much more you want to find out about me. You're welcome to follow me on
0: Twitter. It's at RourkeB,
1: R-O-A-R-K-E-B. Or you can uh, check out Omnia, Omnia Omniamedia.co. We're also present on Facebook, all the other major social platforms. You can find us out there. And uh, What about your cat? Tucker, uh, there is, feel free to subscribe to Tucker Purse. It exists. There's like graphics and things like that. But, uh, but Tucker Purse has not launched yet, uh, much to my wife's chagrin. <laughs> so so we'll get that out there. I also, when I give people my information, the other day I had an actual exchange with somebody. I don't know how relevant this is for you, but I'll share. And they thought when I was giving them my email, when I was saying rourke at gmail.com, they thought it was rourke at gmail.com, then the at gmail.com. So I got this someone, like, they sent me a screenshot on their phone. They're like, it's not going through. And I guess they just thought I was like a prankster or something. That
0: would be genius if your email was rork at gmail.com at gmail.com. Oh, I
1: immediately snatched that up. I have that now. Very because,
0: nice. Because I... That's the next trend. That's what the kids are going to be hip to. That's what the kids are doing. So yeah. that's my force prediction is that everybody's going to
1: be doing, you know, it's going to be james at gmail.com. At
0: gmail.com.
1: That's the new way to get just your
0: name, right? What about james at yahoo.com at gmail.com? Well, it depends on if you want your information link. Mm, that's less <laughs> cool.
1: <laughs> uh, that's, that's less cool no yeah james james at msn.com at yahoo.com you know really really mix it up make it interesting but do yourself a favor and do that then you'll know what it's like to have a weird name you know you have james people hear that they sure they well, where did the come it. from Thanks, you know it's uh it's an irish surname and uh i don't know why i think this i think my mom used to tell me that she's like it was a difficult birth. I want to give you a name you wouldn't forget. And I was like, people don't really forget their name. So I don't know if you thought I was going to be like a lost puppy or if like the drugs they gave you during that difficult birth were just that good. I think that's what it was. Uh, so they just like picked an Irish last name out of a book because they liked how it sounded. It's funny, The other day I, was, I was getting a sandwich at a deli. And I always have, I always have to like keep a close eye. Like I'll be, I'll be trying to have a conversation with someone I might walk to lunch with, but I have to have a close eye because if it's a place where they call your name, they either like don't say it right. Or they like for years at Thai restaurants, I've been rock or, you know, in various places they pronounce my name in different ways.
0: Do you have a go-to fake name at Starbucks?
1: The, the and <laughs> Patrick's my middle name. So I'll defer to that sometimes. But usually, like, people will get it if they just hear it a couple times. But this one lady at this deli uh, near the office just can't get it and is not interested in trying. I watched her pick up my sandwich, look at the name, and just go, like, "Mm mm-mm, and just put it back. Like, didn't even say a name. Didn't say a number or a sandwich type. Looked at it, set the sandwich back down. And I was thinking, like, that's... This is like elementary school when the substitute teacher stumbles on a name. Like I know this is me. I know where I am in the order, and this must be me. So I waited for like another person to call, and then I go up, and uh, sure enough, it was for me. And she's just like her excuse was. She goes, "I'm sorry, honey. I'm from the East Coast. I don't know how to pronounce that." I was like. I have no idea what that has to do with that tricky E at the end of my name, but that was too much. Overwhelmed her.
0: Well, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for telling us a little bit about your experience in the digital space to what you're focused on today, how the experience is working with creators, your thoughts and predictions and insights for the future of the video space. It's been really fun. Appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in. I'm James Creech, and this has been another edition of All Things Video. If you like what you hear, we hope you'll share and subscribe for new episodes. See you next time.